Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We come this morning to the climax of what Christians have traditionally celebrated as Holy Week, uh, being those days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, his actual death on the cross, and then on Sunday, the first day of the week, his resurrection from the dead. Uh, This past Friday, on what is often referred to as Good Friday, we held a special service together to remember and reflect upon uh, the Lord's death. This morning... We celebrate that Jesus did not remain in the tomb, but that he rose again the third day in victory over sin and death to complete the work of redemption and to ever live as a savior for sinners and the risen Lord who rules and reigns over all. These events, particularly the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, are two of the key events that make up what we call the gospel, uh, the good news. This message that we call the gospel is at the heart of the Christian faith, and it is at the heart of this particular community of believers called Emmanuel Church. Well, what is the gospel? Do you know what the good news is, this message that is so central to the Christian faith? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of what God has done in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his incarnation, death, and resurrection— to make a way of salvation for sinners who come to him in repentance and faith. The gospel is at the heart of our text this morning. In fact, Luke 24, 44-49 represents one of the best concise presentations of the gospel in all of the Bible. In these verses, Jesus first highlights how the Old Testament anticipated the gospel events. He then emphasizes the actual achievement of these events in space and time and the fact that the disciples themselves were witnesses to these things. Finally, he states that this gospel is to be preached in his name to all peoples beginning in Jerusalem. So those three movements in the passage, those three movements in the text, will frame our outline for our consideration of these verses. So three points this morning. We'll consider, first of all, the gospel anticipated. Secondly, the gospel achieved. And thirdly, the gospel announced. The gospel anticipated, the gospel achieved, the gospel announced. First of all, consider with me the gospel anticipated. Look again at the passage, if you will, in Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So here's Jesus with his disciples 
now on the other side of the cross and of the empty tomb. He has died and he has risen from the dead. The mood is altogether changed. Their sense and apprehension of who he is is completely changed. And now he essentially invites these disciples into the greatest Bible study of all time. He wants them to re-examine the Old Testament in light of the events that have just taken place. And we read in verse 25 that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now what does that mean? What would that entail? Well, it could be that in a moment, Jesus removed some kind of spiritual blindness that was over the disciples' hearts. And in a moment, they understood things that previously they had not apprehended. Or it could be that Jesus spent several hours laboring through texts of the Old Testament to explain it to them. And over those hours together, little by little, they came to understand the Scriptures. We don't know. But what we do know is that now these disciples appreciate, as they never have before, that all these events, including and specifically the death of Jesus and his subsequent resurrection, was in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Jesus now with all authority in heaven and on earth, that word who was in the beginning with God, this Jesus says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written, Jesus says, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now the disciples reared in Judaism already knew Messiah was coming. They believed him to be the Christ, the son of God. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus represented new information to them. They had not yet understood that these events needed to take place and that they were anticipated in the Old Testament. Jesus is in essence saying that the events of the gospel were anticipated in the Old Testament. They were anticipated in the scriptures. Well, how is it that the Old Testament anticipated the coming of the Messiah? Well, in more ways than we could identify in this short message this morning, but I'm just going to name three ways in which the Old Testament scriptures anticipated the coming of Jesus and his subsequent death and resurrection. The first way in which the Old Testament anticipated the coming of Christ was through a series of redemptive covenants that God entered into with man. Relationships that God entered into with particular people. Promises that God had made. For example, God had promised to Adam after the fall, to Adam and to Eve, that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. We know this side of the cross that that seed of the woman was Christ and that God was promising the gospel in its seed form in those beginning days. Promises and covenants like the one made with Abraham. Uh, God made a promise to Abraham that in his seed, that through a descendant of Abraham, indeed all the peoples of the world, all the families of the world would be blessed. That God would bring deliverance and salvation, not only for Abraham's immediate family or the Jews to descend from him, but indeed all the peoples of the world would find deliverance through this seed, this son of Abraham. Promises and covenants like the one made with King David in 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, that one day God would raise up a descendant of David, a son of David after him, who would rule and reign on his father's throne forever. And of the increase of his government, there would be no end. And he would establish justice and truth and salvation in all the world. This son of David was going to come. This is the first way in which the Old Testament anticipated the coming of Jesus into the world. But there's a second way in which the Old Testament anticipated the gospel. 
coming of Christ and His death on the cross. And that is through the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Under the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, the Jewish Law, there were all these sacrifices. There were the sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats. And these sacrifices signified atonement for sin. Payment for the sins of the people. The Jewish people had all kinds of sins and they needed to be forgiven and they needed atonement. And under the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, lambs were slaughtered and bulls and goats were slaughtered to symbolize atonement, a covering for sin, a sacrifice and a substitute for sin. And we learn later on that these sacrifices anticipated the coming of the Son of God who also would shed His blood. And be that once for all final sacrifice that would make atonement for the sins of his people. That is why so often, as John the Baptist says in John chapter 1 verse 29, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A third way the Old Testament anticipated the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection is in a host of individual passages in the Psalms and in the prophets that foretold of the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent resurrection. Uh, Passages like Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. I'll just read verses 4 through 6. There Isaiah writing of the suffering servant to come, the Christ to come, says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Psalms like Psalm 22 that anticipated the passion of Christ. There in Psalm 22 we read in verse 16, the writer of the psalm taking the posture of the coming Messiah. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet written a thousand years before the coming of Jesus they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots psalms like psalm 16 that anticipate the resurrection that that the Lord's servant the Lord's coming Messiah in Christ would not though he die see corruption his body wouldn't decay but that God would make known to him the path of life this was to anticipate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What's the point to all of this? Here in Luke 24, after his death and resurrection, Jesus wants his disciples to understand these things were all anticipated. This was all according to plan. This was to fulfill the scriptures. That Christ suffered and died according to the scriptures. That's the gospel anticipated. Consider with me secondly now the gospel achieved. Look again at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. Jesus here identifies the major events of the gospel itself. They are the death and resurrection of Christ the Son of God. Also, of course, his incarnation, but that's obviously assumed. He's with them in human flesh. It is important for us to remember that what we call the gospel is not an abstract idea. 
or a theological theory of some kind. Rather, it is a matter of history, of actual historical events that took place in space and time. Events loaded with significance for us and for our salvation. The historicity of these events is the basis of the Christian faith. And brother, sister, if you are in Christ, it is the basis of your salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. The gospel is the good news about what God has done in Christ in his incarnation, death, and resurrection to make a way of salvation for sinners. The good news is bound up in these historical events that Christ came in human flesh, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. That God sent his son into the world. That in love, God became man and dwelt among us. That the son of God died on the cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute for sinners, thereby satisfying the wrath of God and achieving redemption and reconciliation for his people. And that he rose again on the third day in victory over sin and death. And that now he ever lives as our great high priest, as a savior for sinners, ready to receive all those who come to him in repentance and faith. Now here's Jesus in Luke 24, in this epic Bible study with his disciples. And he tells them that these events have taken place and you are witnesses to these things. Like this is history. This is news. Something has happened and you're a witness to these events. The decisive events of the gospel have been accomplished. Jesus did suffer the wrath of God as a sacrifice for the sins of these disciples. And indeed all those who would come to Jesus in repentance and faith. And he has overwhelmed and overcome death in his resurrection. Now he lives forever as a savior for sinners. Now these disciples, these witnesses of these things. Well now they have good news to tell. They have a gospel to preach. The gospel events were anticipated. Secondly, they were achieved. And the disciples were witnesses to their achievement. But here's the question I want to ask in the few minutes that remain. Where are we now in the story? The Old Testament anticipated the gospel. The coming of the Christ, God's anointed one, the Lord Jesus, and the events of his death and resurrection. And in the process of time, the gospel was achieved. The Son of God actually came and died for our sins and rose from the dead, and he achieved salvation for us. But where are we now? What does all of this have to do with you sitting here in the sun this morning? What do these events, the incarnation, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, what do they have to do with us? Because see, I believe you and I are in Luke 24. I believe Luke 24 anticipates exactly, precisely this moment. Well, where are we in Luke 24? Consider with me thirdly, the gospel announced. The gospel anticipated, the gospel achieved. Thirdly and finally, the gospel announced. Where are we now in the story? We, friends, are in verse 47. I'll pick up in verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. For thousands of years, the gospel was anticipated. And in the fullness of time, it was accomplished. Well, what now? Well, according to this passage and several others, we now live in a new age. 
All the groundwork has been laid for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. We now live in the age in which the gospel is to be announced to all peoples under heaven. We live now in the age in which mercy and the grace of God is to be proclaimed. That God has made a way in the person of his own dear son, the Lord Jesus, to save sinners. And the call, this is the call to each one of us. The call is a call to repentance. A turning from sin. From the sin that has estranged us from God and invited his just wrath. We are all born dead in sin. And our sin creates a divide between us and our maker. Us and our creator. And thus the gospel call is a call to repentance. A call to turn from our sin and to enter into restored relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise, friends, is forgiveness. That all of your sins, past, present, and future, can be laid upon Jesus and you can be forgiven if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was God's design, it's God's purpose, that this message would be preached to all peoples. My friend, you are here this morning because God has purposed that you would be here this morning. And that you would come under the proclamation, the preaching, the announcement of the gospel. This was promised in that Bible study 2,000 years ago. That because the Old Testament anticipated the gospel, because Jesus accomplished it, this message needs to be preached. The gospel needs to go forward. And the Lord anticipated, indeed, He purposed by divine fiat that gatherings like this would take place and that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, would be announced. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all peoples under heaven. We are here in fulfillment of Luke 24, verse 27. And those of us, friends, here who are Christians already, we are here this morning and we gather week by week because we believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only hope of the world. He is the only Redeemer for man lost in sin. He is the only mediator between God and man. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. There is no name under heaven by which we can be saved. He's the only mediator between God and man. He is the only hope for sinners in need of grace. And don't we all need grace? He is the only one who can bear our souls safely to God. He is the only one who can remove our sins from us and place them as far as the east is from the west. Think about that. All your sins, all those things that would make you ashamed if the neighbor sitting to your right or your left or in front of you or behind you, if they could see all your sins, how we would cower in shame. All your sins can be laid on Jesus, can be forgiven, paid for by the blood of Christ. This parking lot is filled with sinners, with bad people, with men and women who have committed sins that invite the just wrath of a holy God. This parking lot is filled with men and women who were born rebels against God, dead in sin. This parking lot is filled with bad people, rebellious people, sinful people. And we are sinful people that will either go to judgment or we will go to Jesus. And those of us here who are Christians, who have been born again, have been united to Christ, who are destined for everlasting life in paradise with Jesus, we are not so 
I don't want anyone here to get this confused. We are not so because of our wise choices. We are not so because of our upstanding behavior. We are not so because of our adherence to the forms of religion. We are so because Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And because we, under conviction of our sins, turned to God in repentance. And what did he do? He forgave us of all of our sins. And here, we who are Christians are Christians because we went to Jesus and found forgiveness. We were saved purely and totally and only because of the mercy and grace of God offered to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. That's all. That is the only hope we have before a just and holy and perfect God. That Jesus has paid it all. That he died for our sins. And that through the gospel we can be forgiven. Well, what about you, my friend? What about you? What about your sins? What about the coming judgment? What about this good news being preached to you? That you, even you, can be forgiven of your sins this very day. Aren't you so thankful to be alive right now and to have breath in your lungs and that you're alive in the age in which mercy is announced? You're living, you're experiencing right now Luke 24, verse 47. That ancient promise in that room with those disciples. The gospel is announced to you in which repentance for the forgiveness of sins is preached. That was the plan. The gospel anticipated, the gospel achieved, the gospel announced. The good news was meant to come to you, my friend. And so this day, the grace of God is offered you. There is no one here. There is no one here who is disqualified from coming to Jesus and pleading for mercy and for grace and forgiveness. His arms are spread wide. And he will receive all those who come to him in repentance and faith. No one here has disqualified themselves to going to Jesus with empty hands and asking him to do what only he can do. To save your poor soul and to forgive you of all your sins. No one here is disqualified from going to Jesus. None of us has a load of sin so heavy that Jesus can't remove it. We sang about this in that first song. Our sins, though they are many. His mercy is more. Where sin abounded, Romans 5, grace abounded much more. God has made abundant provision in the death of His Son so that we can be forgiven. To you children here, you are not too young to come to Jesus. You don't need to wait to come to Jesus. You are not promised your next breath, let alone the next hour, let alone your high school graduation. You could die this afternoon. And Jesus Christ could come back in the next few moments. Children here, I implore you, I beg you, I appeal to you. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Visitors here who are outside of Christ, you can have your sins forgiven today. People who have been attending this church for months and years who have not yet closed with Christ and turned from your sins, you can be saved today. No one here has to perish. It's just true. If you're under the sound of my voice, if you're hearing this good news preached to you, no one here has to perish. No one here has to go to hell outside of Christ. The forgiveness of sins is announced to you this morning in fulfillment of the Scriptures. This is the day of salvation. 
This is the era of mercy. We live in the age in which the gospel is to be preached to all peoples. That gospel that says for those who repent, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. He was, he was, as the scriptures say, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples at that Bible study 2,000 years ago. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And friends, I have the privilege now to stand in that line of those who announce this message, those who proclaim good news, that your sins, though they are many, though they make you ashamed, though they be like scarlet, can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And here's what God says in another place. I will forgive you your sins and remember your lawless deeds no more. This is the invitation. This is the summons. Repent, come to Jesus, and find forgiveness through his blood. Five young people are going to be baptized in just a moment. They're going to come and share their testimonies. And then we'll baptize them in this pool over here. And uh, one of the privileges I have as one of the pastors of the church, I get to read their testimonies first before anyone else gets to look at them. Testimonies they're going to read to you, they sent in to us a week or so ago. And it was such a delight. It was stirring to read of what God has done in the lives of these young people. I want to read a line from each one of their testimonies now. You'll hear them in context in a moment. But these lines, one from each testimony, from Noah and from Charles and from Emma and from Claire and from Lindsay, these lines capture the essence of saving faith. Claire Allen says this, The gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and rose again in three days, defeating sin and death. God has shown me my sin and my need for a Savior. Noah Lund says, I believe in Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the grave on the third day and ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Charles Vann says, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for all who believe in him and took on the punishment that I deserved. Emma Clark says, I have repented of my sins and placed my trust in Christ. I praise God that I am a sinner saved by his grace. Lindsay Allen says, I trust that Jesus has paid for my sins and that is enough. Let's pray together. Our Father, there is no prayer, there's no combination of words, there's no acts of devotion and piety, nothing we could say or do that could ever adequately thank you for what you have done for us in the person of your own dear Son. Indeed, it is impossible for us to comprehend the depths of love that would send that word who indeed was in the beginning that one without whom was not anything made, that was made. That word who was in the bosom of the Father. We cannot comprehend the depths of love that would send him in human flesh to die for worms like us. All we can do, Father, is to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, to give our lives in worship and devotion to you, 
and to enjoy the gift of grace, the abundant provision you have made in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please, in mercy and in grace and in steadfast love and compassion, pour out your grace on this assembly now. Open up all of our hearts to receive the good news as it is in Jesus. Give to each one the gifts of repentance and faith and cause us to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray now as we sing to you, And then in a few moments, come to witness the testimonies and baptisms that you would continue to minister to us and to be with us and to bless us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.